Hey, this is Bob Adcroft, and this is my podcast, Be Real Now. So, a little bit of housekeeping. If you'd like to subscribe to my show, it's free, and just hit the subscribe button. If you'd like to reach out to me via email, do so via bob.adcroft at gmail.com. So, my guest for this podcast is a New York City editor and writer, and was editor-in-chief of Omni Magazine and Seventeen Magazine was also the editorial director of Discover Magazine and executive editor of Mary Claire and In Style Magazines and editor of NetGuide Magazine. Served on numerous boards, including the Wharton Business School, has taught at Syracuse University and the Syracuse U abroad in London, England. Throughout this multifaceted career, appeared on television, radio, including The Today Show, CNN, Access Hollywood, Extra, and Bill O'Reilly. My guest lives in New York City and has for the past 41 years. And I'm happy to say my guest is my dear sister, Patty Atcroft. Patty, welcome to my podcast. Thank you, Bobby. I'm so glad to be talking to you on your podcast. And thank you for doing it because I think it will enlighten and uplift a lot of people, which is what you're all about (laughs) uplifting others. You're very kind. You're very kind. So, Patty, uh, li- living in New York for the uh, and living now and living in New York for the past forty-one years, you are very familiar with uh, some of the tragedies that uh, New Yorkers had to had to overcome. And if I just go back to history, thinking back to you know two thousand and one, nine eleven, perhaps the deadliest terrorist attack in world history, um, the most devastating in U.S. soil since Pearl Harbor, then the as you know the two thousands. 7-2008 financial crisis, Hurricane Sandy in 2012, and that brings us today with another tragedy, COVID-19, the coronavirus. Now, we know that it's in six of the seven continents, but New York is the epicenter, and you're experiencing it firsthand. So, Patty, what I'd, I'd ask you to do is give us a little perspective from a, 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 a true New Yorker on what your experience, if you will. Well... Regarding 9-11, that seemed like the darkest day in my time in New York. And knowing and and living just a mile from ground zero and seeing the ash coming down from the sky and blocking the windows and the sidewalks, you never thought New York would be healed again. But the amazing thing is New Yorkers went out every night and they cheered the rescue and recovery team. It was a recovery team at the time. And they brought supplies to the site and they stood in line for the victims' families so that they would not have to stand in line with DNA samples. And everywhere there was this pouring out of love, not just from New Yorkers, but people across the United States Mm. came to New York. You know, Patty, I remember myself at the time, um, I was working for uh, New, York, uh, New York Times Broadcast Division and Television with the local ABC affiliate here in Scranton, Pennsylvania, WNEP-TV, and I remember very clearly from my office, um, I had a monitor in front of me, and I remember seeing it on, uh, on television and, and, and it luring me out of my office 
And before I knew it, there were dozens of my colleagues surrounded by the TV watching it in, in just awe and, and almost disbelief. Could you share with us where you were and what your memory was when that first, when you first learned of that tragedy? I was actually walking into my job at Seventeen Magazine, and someone in the lobby mentioned to me that a plane had hit the World Trade Tower, and I thought, oh, a small plane, it must have been, because I myself have piloted a small plane down the Hudson and around the World Trade Towers, and it was an extremely tight uh, turn, and so that that could easily happen. I hope there's not a lot of damage done, hmm. a lot of, no loss of life. By the time I got up in the elevator to the 17th, um, 17 offices, I went into the conference room and my staff of 65 was assembled and the second plane had hit. And I was faced with 65 young, mostly, faces that looked as terrified as anyone I have ever seen. Yes. I basically said we will be okay if we are okay we are going to think of something positive to do in this moment mm -hmm. and that ever needs to should go home immediately mm -hmm. don't worry about work for the next day for the next week the priority is to be with those that you love wow uh, patty how how close were you physically in the city of new york to actually the, the uh, towers falling well, my home was a mile away, and the office was a couple of miles away. But the really tragic thing about the office was right below my windows, there was a fire company. And everyone that was dispatched that day, all the firefighters I had walked by for many years were uh, killed during 9-11. Mm. We knew people that didn't make it. Yeah. I mean, that gives me chills right now at this very moment, reflecting back and thinking of that uh, unbelievable tragedy. And I just can't fathom uh, living it in New York City, actually seeing the ash fall from the sky and uh, the sirens going and uh, just the horrific feeling. Uh, but you know, what's amazed me, as you said, in, in New Yorkers pulled together and most importantly, it's, it's like a, it's a message to the rest of the world. It's a message to the rest. Look what we have done. Look what we have overcome. And people want to be part of that. They want to give. They want to contribute. You know, I remember uh, firemen coming from all across the country, volunteering their time and taking vacation time to go to New York. That's right. It was place of inspiration and New York for me and for most people who actually moved to New York your son, your sons included mm -hmm. it's a place of dreams and so you're able even in the midst of the worst nightmare dream a beautiful dream of what can be mm -hmm. of what should be nobody just arrives as a dancer on Broadway or an actress on Broadway nobody just arrives as a writer be published in the New York Times, mm -hmm. but dream the dream, and somehow the energy and the vitality and just the hopefulness of New York City carries you 
into reality. And mm. that's what people did. They dreamed that downtown could come back better. We would always honor people who had been lost. We would not forget them. And there are places throughout the city where there are memorials, including at the 9-11 site. But we were able to dream something that was, as I said, a better day. Mm. And, and as you said, you know, people just don't go there um, to become a writer, etc. There's so many people there. When, when you said that, Patty, a, a name came to my mind, a person that you shared a little bit about the history of is Jane Jacobs, a Scranton native. Interestingly enough, I recently learned that she, uh, upon graduating from Scranton High, she was an assistant to the women's page editor at Scranton Tribune as an unpaid assistant. And uh, I know that's somebody that you've read a little bit about and admired as a Scrantonian like yourself and then found her home in New York. Well, Jane Jacobs was very instrumental in keeping Greenwich Village a very livable space and she lived not far from where I live in the West Village and she understood that a walking city gives so much more to the inhabitants than a city that is dictated by uh, just automobiles mm-hmm. and were encounters all the day you know along with people that from other countries and from other cities and with different languages and that enriched you and so if you kept the streets reasonably small and you kept the city with a lot of small merchants and uh, small mom-and-pop stores there would be a community form she was a great community organizer and builder and I've been lucky enough to live in a real community in New York City. And anybody you talk to will say, oh, I love my neighborhood. Because each neighborhood is a community. It's not this huge sort of Michelin man kind of city. It's a mosaic. Yes. Loads of little tiny pieces. It's, it, I'll tell you, anytime I go to New York City, I'm always in awe of the diversity and uh, how people just naturally are helpful to one another. It's, it's inspiring to see that mass amount of humanity in all functioning in a harmonious way and, and uh, all out looking for each other. And, uh, you know, that takes me to another crisis, the 2007-2008, the financial crisis. Um, which would actually lead to worldwide economic crisis, perhaps the greatest uh, crisis economically since the Great Depression. That was another time of adversity for New York City. And yet, here again, New Yorkers found a way. Tell us about your reflections on that and what you recall. Well, I'm not a big fan of the the banks having been bailed (laughs) out, but there was, this was the financial center of the world, as you said, Bobby. Yeah. New City. And there was this fear again that what's gonna to happen to Wall Street, what's gonna to happen to world economies, what's gonna to happen to New York. And mm. yet people pulled together and they were able to ride that storm. Now we weren't talking about the same kind of loss of life or the same kind of 
uh, spirit it took to come back after 9-11, mm-hmm. but it was still a crisis. Yeah. Yeah, it was absolutely a crisis. Uh, not like those others, like Sandy, 2012. I mean, it had affected the entire eastern seaboard from Florida to Maine, across the Appalachian Mountains into Michigan and Wisconsin, as we know. But uh, most memorable for me was New York. Again, yeah. you know, it was just, it was my, as I speak to you now, the, the hairs on, on my arms rise when I think of Hurricane Sandy in 2012 and what went on in New York City and uh, the devastation and then how they came back. It was interesting because, again, downtown was hit pretty hard and I was above the floodplain, but because the generator, the Con Ed station was literally underwater, which supplied electricity to lower Manhattan, there was no electricity and Mm. there were no elevators in the building and there were no grocery stores open and there were no supplies of food coming in. And so people needed to pull together and people from uptown brought groceries downtown, people relocated, people moved in with each other, even if they had a family of eight already living in in small quarters, it was no problem to include another person. probably the most amazing story that I remember from that time Mm -hmm. was that uh, NYU hospital was really very much affected because the East river just came up and flooded the lower East side. And because there were newborns in a precarious area, the nurses had to carry them down. Wow many flights of stairs one by one a nurse would carry a baby down to a safer place so that they could be eventually reunited with their mothers mm-hmm. and these nurses you know weren't getting out of hazard pay they weren't going to be told well you're working overtime you'll get comp time they just took it upon themselves to organize in such a way that the babies would be safe the EMT workers got people out of the uh, sort of line of, of danger. They were afraid that part of the hospital might blow up because it was by a substate, an electrical substation. Wow. So a lot of patients had to be relocated. People in nursing homes had to be relocated. And again, an average person on the street that had no relationship to NYU or to a hospital system would go and volunteer mm-hmm. and we, that again and again and again that New Yorkers are the first to raise their hands to volunteer I it's 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 heartwarming and uh, you know when I hear and think of New York City I always have in my mind the heart and the I love NY I love New York and uh, you know hearing stories like this absolutely makes you understand why New Yorkers and, and, and uh, people across the country and into the world look to New York at times of uh, mishap and tragedy and say, you know, how are they doing it? In awe. And it's heartwarming also then to, to think that they reach out. They reach out across the world. Um, and now here we are with COVID-19. Uh, I've never experienced anything 
like this at all. It's, it's as I said earlier, it's affected six out of our seven continents. Uh, but the epicenter is New York. And, you know, I am so happy that it's, it's going down. Uh, it's being controlled. Uh, New Yorkers are doing what they have to. Um, as uh, Governor Cuomo says, New York strong. Uh, to be a New Yorker is to, to show love, to be caring. All those ideals are so true, and, and our listeners, I, I hope, understand and, and get an idea. But if you will, take us a little bit to your experience now. You're in New York City, and what it's like as a New Yorker each day um, in the town that was just hustle and bustle and electrifying all hours of the day and night. And, and, and you, you go to New York now, and it, it's very quiet. It's eerily still. Give us a first-hand glimpse of what you experienced during COVID. Well, you're right. There, the streets are not filled with people as they were. There's not the tourists and the visitors, and the lights aren't bright on Broadway, and people are not able to go to a lot of their jobs. But there are all of these essential workers working whether in the subways or in the grocery stores or the sanitation workers or the amazing physicians and medical staff and even the people that clean the hospitals. Can you imagine? I mean, <laughs> having to do that job now. So mm. here's the thing. You feel the heart of New York when it's vital, when things are going well when there's a lot of hustle and bustle, as you said, but you hear the heart of New York in the stillness. Mm -hmm. And every night at 7 p.m., you hear the heart of New York with people throwing open their windows and clapping and cheering and saying, New York tough, New York strong, and banging pants and singing. And so... <laughs> I've seen that video on television, and each time I see it, 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 it just touches me in such a way of um, a time of tragedy, but with such joy to know that people care and uh, people want to say thank you to those that are uh, on the front line, as we say. Um, it's just uh, it's a beautiful thing to watch, and I... I can't imagine experiencing it all as you are now. Um, each night at seven o'clock, as you say, you know, we get to see that on television a little bit and you, you smile and you feel differently. That's right. And just two and a half blocks away, there is an urgent care center, which has been a focal point for uh, COVID patients. And unfortunately, there's still the refrigerated truck outside. Mm. But People ring that center eight feet apart and cheering the healthcare workers every night. So it's not just the people that are sitting in their apartments cheering, it's people on the streets cheering. And when you pass police officers or sanitation workers, people are saying thank you through their masks. Yeah. Um, there's an organization excuse me, called Invisible Hands, which is delivering food to all the elderly and all the people who don't have access to food right now. No New Yorker is going hungry. 
There are all of the food banks are operational all around the clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the homeless are being put into other places so that they might be somewhat protected. Mm-hmm. Uh, what has happened too is that the uh, sort of the curtain between different societies is lifted. So you're aware of how much of a problem Queens is having and what a struggle it is to be in the Bronx now and what terrible things might be happening in Brooklyn and how doctors in, in Manhattan are being dispatched to other places. Mm-hmm. So you, this has been a way of seeing New York for what it is, this multicultural, multi-economic place. Mm-hmm. And not being able to ignore your neighbor. Mm. Yeah, it's just just it's just amazing. It's you know one of the things you said, speaking through their masks, and I'll tell you, I was in New York City just a few days ago uh, for a short visit, and everywhere I looked, the walking population, every building I went into, people had a mask. Um, I'm sorry to say that's not exactly the way it is in every single city or state um, across the uh, United States, and, and not even here, you know. But uh, if there's one thing that people can learn, wear a mask. Right. Well, Governor Cuomo has been very outspoken on this, and, you know, he's always saying follow the science, follow the data. And as a person who works at a science, couple of science magazines, I can of the sign. And amazingly enough, first-line workers in New York City have the lowest incident of COVID. And it's because those first-line workers wear a mask, wash their hands, observe certain requirements to keep the virus at bay. They are the populations that have the lowest incident. You would think that nurses in a COVID unit would have the highest amount of the virus. No, it's quite the opposite. I, 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 I'm amazed. I heard that statistic uh, earlier this week, right from a physician at MSK, and um, she was the doctor was very proud of that fact. You know, she said, "Hey, you know what? We're doing what we have to do." And and, uh, and I was concerned for the staff there at MSK, saying, "How are you guys making out?" And she said, our patients, our, our team here, uh, we have a, the lowest rate of infection because we're doing what we have to do, wearing the mask, washing our hands, all those things that you said. And it sounds oversimplistic, but we know through what's happening in New York with those medical workers, with the first liners, that's a solution. That is a simple solution. Wear your mask. Stay four feet apart. Wash your hands. Be careful. Don't go in, in gatherings of dozens and dozens of people. Uh, and you see that in New York. The, the respect that the New Yorkers have for this terrible COVID-19 disease is, 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 is so, such an indelible impression from when I, you know, I, I drive from Scranton to New York and, and I see that. I'm like, wow, this is why it's going down. This is why things are starting to work there. We, we've got to use New York as uh, 
away of the rest of the world, not just the United States, but the rest of the world to look at how, how do we fight COVID-19. And when we look at New York, we get that sense of here's how it goes. Here's what you need to do. And that's really in part due to our strong leadership. Start mm. the governor and his insistence on people wearing a mask and a campaign, a public service campaign on why you wear a mask and you wear it for other people and you wear it for yourself and you wear it to keep safe. And look, we nobody thought that the virus would be as virulent as it was. We have millions of people, I think 3 million people came in from uh, Europe to JFK in the months of February and March. And when you have that influx of people, of course the virus is going to travel. It doesn't discriminate. Right. You know, right. So New York became the hot spot. And it was very much raging for a long time. And even when it was raging, the people who had the masks on, and this was before the CDC recommended it or anybody mentioned it, they were being kept safe because they weren't breathing in the virus. And they were constantly, as you know, because you have a daughter in the medical profession, mm-hmm. was, washing their hands and observing hygiene. And so ah, New Yorkers don't want anybody else to to succumb to this terrible illness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. I, um, and again, say to my our, our audience listening today or watching, uh, watch what's going on in New York. Learn from them. Any last thoughts, Patty, on our conversation on if you were to say to people um, as a New Yorker, as a person uh, living in the city, uh, and, I, and I know we've said over and over, wear your mask, wash your hands, but um, how we rebound. And, and I know we haven't as a country or as a world rebounded yet, but there's absolutely light. And uh, articulate your thoughts, if you will, on what you possibly see as how we rebound and, and how the world in New York, how it may be different now. I think that the way the world rebounds from this is person by person, action by action. My neighbors made sure every time they went to the grocery store, they called me uh, because I'm immunocompromised. Another neighbor knows that I love a latte in the morning. He put a latte outside my door every morning. So I think if, Start small. You're not going to rebuild overnight. None of this is going to disappear overnight. The small thing might be the mask or washing the hands or mm-hmm. or listening to what the earth is telling us at this point. We were observing that a lot of birds were coming back to the parks in New York. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of all this tragedy was this magnificent spring in New York. It was just vibrant with the different types of species of flowers and bushes and trees. And you walk through Central Park and, and you see that, you know, the earth was paused. It's, the people on earth were paused, but the earth itself was not paused. And life does go on. And 
while remembering those who have fallen victim to this and honoring them and helping the people through their grief because there's an enormous amount of grief and there's an enormous amount of mental stress mm-hmm. comes with this kind of thing by what you're doing, Bobby, talking about it and and looking for signs of inspiration, we can slowly start to, and being smart, mm-hmm. back. And, and, you know, New Yorkers are brusque and they're fast and they're in your face mm-hmm. and they're not able to be in your face right now. Yeah. <laughs> they're not able to extend a, a welcoming hand, but they still extend a big heart yeah. to the world. As the world is, as you said, to New York. You know what, Patty? When you said one person at a time, it reminded me of a, a, a quote that I, I, I love, and I'll share it with you. It was, the creation of a thousand forests is in one acorn by Ralph Waldo Emerson. I mean, it's, it, it's no different than that. You know, it's one person at a time. And knowing you, the one person listening, wearing a mask, keeping social distancing, washing your hands. That's how it happens, one person at a time. That's so true. And also one person listening to another person and understanding that they're in a bad place psychologically and need help getting through this stressful time. Hmm. So that, that part of it too, no act is too small. Mm-mm. No donation is too small. There was a telethon for New York a couple of weeks ago, and the goal was in an hour. Tina Fey and a group of other actors and musicians, etc., would raise $100 million. And they didn't think that, oh, $100 million, how are we going to get to that? And it wasn't big corporations that were giving. It was, you know, if 10 New Yorkers, excuse me, if um, a certain number of New Yorkers give $10 each, we'll get to $100 million. And we reached over a hundred million. Wow. That is amazing. That, that, that's, that, that's good news. That's what we love to hear. Uh, any closing thoughts, Patty, before we wrap up? Uh, I just would hope that a tragedy like this would not bring darkness, just darkness, but would shine a light on people in need, in um, on on communities of color, and uh, that are compromised mm-hmm. to begin with, because they don't have adequate access to health care or adequate food mm-hmm. or live paycheck to paycheck, and by shining a light on our brothers and sisters who are in need, and everybody in New York is a brother and sister. It's not just me and you, Bobby. Mm-hmm. It's every person that I pass in New York, I feel that. I feel that that is my brother. He is my brother. She is my sister. Mm-hmm. I have to be on the same subway train, whether they're making gobs of money or they're the poorest person on the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm always with both extremes. If we could just illuminate where the need is, then we know how to reach in and help one another. But we can't close our eyes to what the virus has shown us. We've got to keep our eyes open. And maybe we're keeping our mouths shut you know, or 
eyes open to watch for the person in need. You know, what's most impressionable, what you said right at the beginning of that is, listen, listen, listen to people. And, you know, we know that communication is, is not just by using our, my, our, our mouths and the words we speak. Um, it, it's the reflection in our eyes or um, how we hold our body, how we hold ourselves. Uh, so much of communication is nonverbal, but uh, I, I think you're right about listening. It's, you know, you could really get a sense of where somebody is when you stop and listen to what they're saying and they don't have to verbalize that for you to understand that where they are or what challenges that they may have that you may see that and feel that that uh, that energy coming from them that it's they're in need and they're seeking out help and as you said maybe it's a uh, it's a sign it's 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 something for us to all learn that um, now we could see how other people are there are people that are hungry all the time, that are in need all the time, whether it's health care or uh, work or fiscal. It's, it, we're now getting a chance to see and, and listen and hear and be a part of a community that say, hey, this is, this is how some people are all the time. They're in this need as we are now. It also unites us with the world in a way we've never been before because, as you said, uh, how many of the continents have COVID, it's on six of seven continents. So this is a worldwide event and we can't shut our eyes to how the rest of the world lives. Finally, the United States is seeing what it's like to be without the kinds of food supply and uh, health capacity that most people live with day to day. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely we right. We so privileged here and so spoiled. And we need to be cognizant of the fact that, yeah, not just the guy on West 12th Street that passes me as my brother, but the person that's in Syria is my brother too. Mm. Yeah. It really gives us that sense. You're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Well, let me say, I am... I am so happy to have this opportunity to talk to you on my podcast. Um, this was eye-opening and uh, very touching for me, you know, reflecting back to all that you've experienced in New Yorkers and the people across the United States and the world, what we're experiencing now. But I, I believe there is a light at the end of the tunnel at the end of all this, and whether it's six months or 18 months, whenever that is, that we come out to be a better people a better world, a better person. And that's through, as you said, listening and appreciating our brothers and sisters. So thank you, Patty, very, very much. And I'd love to have you on again, and we'll uh, maybe have another topic. So um, to my listeners, I say, hey, thanks for tuning in. Again, a little bit of housekeeping. If you like what you heard today, please shoot a comment. And and by all means, if you see on your... uh, podcast, hit that subscribe button and that way you'll be notified of the next podcast or reach out to myself at bob.adcroft at gmail.com. That's all for today. Thank you.